This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. Why don't we start this morning in 2 Kings chapter 18. We're teaching a series on the uh, uh, God and miracles. And this morning I'd like to to cover four miracles and um, finish up the Old Testament miracles. We haven't covered them all, certainly, but... uh, We've given a, um, a good number of them a look, and, and um, then we want to move into the New Testament miracles beginning next week and the miracles of Jesus and so forth. Uh, the four I want to talk to you this morning all have a similar theme, and, and that is their miracles of protection. Now, in Second Kings chapter 18, um, Hezekiah has become king of, uh, of Israel. And their great en- enemy at that point in time was the Assyrians. Sennacherib is, uh, is the king of, uh, of the Assyrian kingdom. And um, present-day Syria is just to the north of Israel, but their kingdom in that day, the Assyrian kingdom of that day, was something that stretched all the way around Israel, encircled Israel almost. And uh, they were just across the Jordan River from them. And so when Hezekiah becomes king, it says in chapter 18... Verse um, 3, and he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord and according to all that David his father did. He removed the high places and broke down the images of the statues that Israel had set up, previous uh, uh, kings before him, and cut down the groves. These were the places of worship. They'd uh, make orchards and and, um, uh, stands of trees that they would uh, worship these false gods in. So he cut down the groves and broke in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. Now, you remember in Numbers, uh, what is it, Numbers chapter 21 around there somewhere, it talks about how that uh, the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against God. And uh, it said that fiery serpents came into the camp. And Moses petitioned God for the answer. And there were a lot of people that were dying as a result of their own sin. And so Moses petitioned the Lord and said, uh, what do I do about this? And God said, make a brass serpent, a brazen serpent or a brass serpent, and put it on a pole. Now, that represented Jesus. Jesus said in John chapter 3, when he was talking about uh, the great um, verse that everybody knows, John three sixteen. the context of that was Jesus said, just as Moses lifted up the brass serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up as well. So Jesus identifies that, the, the uh, brass serpent, as uh, being a type of him. And so anyway, God told Moses, lift up this brass serpent, and everybody that looks on it shall live. Well, now, there's two things that the children of Israel needed, to, needed relief from. One certainly was the, the snake bites, the poisonous snake bites that were causing everybody to die, or a great number of them to die. But the second thing they needed was something to, to cover over their sin because the only reason that the snakes came in, and the Bible tells us very specifically that God led them through the wilderness where there were all kinds of fiery serpents. The, the, the real question is not why did the fiery serpents came in, come into the camp. The real thing to, to marvel at is how God kept them out of the camp for 40 years except for that one instance. They were protected from them for the period of time that, uh, that they were not in rebellion to God. So anyway, they needed, they needed relief. They needed forgiveness not only for their sin, but they needed relief from the, the snake binds itself. So Moses told the people on behalf of God, everybody that looks on this serpent of brass on the pole shall live, and they did. The people uh, lived and they um, uh, were healed and their sins were forgiven. So the type of Jesus in the Old Testament provided not only forgiveness of sins, but also healing for the physical body, just like Jesus' work on the cross did for us. 
But the children of Israel following that time and the time of Hezekiah and prior to his, his reign, the children of Israel have made an idol out of that brass serpent. I've always been intrigued by the fact that it says that when Moses' time to die came, he went up into the mountain and the Bible says that God buried him. It's a good thing God did. Because can you imagine what the Jews would have done with the tomb of Moses? Man, they would have made shrines out of the bones that were left and who knows whatever else. It's so easy for something that God does to turn it into an idol when you don't recognize that the, the, the representation, they didn't recognize what the, what the brass serpent represented. They made it an idol unto themselves. So they began to burn incense to the thing. That's how far Israel had fallen from the God that delivered them from Egypt. So it says in verse 5, He, speaking of Hezekiah, trusted in the Lord of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. So Hezekiah is the greatest king of Judah. The, def- the kingdoms are divided. Uh, the northern kingdom is Israel. The southern kingdom is Judah. So Hezekiah was the greatest of the kings of Judah because he served God. Now in chapter 18, it tells us about Sennacherib, who was king of Assyria. He came up against Israel, and, and I, I won't go into the whole story. I want to get to the the end of the the thing but i've got to set it up a little bit for you because the king of uh, the king of assyria sennacherib um was the greatest threat that you could possibly imagine like i said judah was just about almost completely encircled by this uh, assyrian kingdom and uh, as a result uh you can imagine the the fear and the dread that any movement that the assyrians made would cause and in, uh, in, well, forgive me for calling them Israel, but you know what I mean, the southern kingdom of Judah. And so anyway, Sennacherib makes a, makes a move against, uh, against Jerusalem, against uh, Judah, and Hezekiah gets scared. You can well understand why this would be. So he sends word to him, and he says, what do I have to pay you to keep you from attacking me? And it, then it tells about all the money that he gathered up. He gave all the way the treasures of the king's palace. And then Hezekiah was so afraid because of the, the threat of the Assyrian kingdom that he took off the gold from the doors of the temple. Now, there's only one reason. I mean, he's serving God. He's doing everything he can to, to get right with God and to, to lead the, the people of Israel in a godly way. But if, that just says to me, that just typifies to me the, the extreme fear that he had to have. I mean, he's not trusting God instead of the Assyrians. He's recognizing if I don't pay these people off, we're going to be wiped out. That doesn't sound like a lot of faith to me, but you'll see him change. So he takes off the gold from the doors of the temple and sends it to the Assyrians, and that doesn't even do it. That doesn't appease them. Folks, let me tell you something. Any deal you try to make with the devil, it never is enough. No matter what you try to give up to compromise with the devil or the world or other people that are being used by the devil against you, it's never going to be enough. So Sennacherib sends people against him. He sends his advisors. He sends these smooth-tongued orators. And they stand in the midst of the people, stand before the king and in the midst of the people, and they start making all kinds of threats. And they said, now, wait a minute. Who do you think is going to protect you from us? This may sound familiar. This is the same stuff the devil tells us. Who do you think is going to protect you from us? Have you not seen the other kings that we've already swallowed up? They trusted in their gods, and it didn't do them any good. And then they finally get to such a point where one of the the leaders says, now don't believe Hezekiah if he says God will protect you because God told us to take the land. 
uh-oh, you got competing prophecies. One is saying God will protect us. The other is saying God told me to take you. What are the people supposed to believe? Well, Hezekiah hears this, this message that was designed for one and only one purpose, and that was to scare the bejeebers out of them. Just like the devil tries to tell you the stuff that he says for the purpose of instilling fear. So Hezekiah tears his clothes. Chapter 19 says that he heard, when he heard this, he rent his clothes and he put sackcloth and ashes on and did all this kind of stuff to symbolize, oh, woe is me. And then he called out to God. Now, I don't know why he didn't call out to God before he gave away the gold on the doors of the temple. I mean, if you're going to trust God, why not trust him early? You know, why make compromises and then get to the place where then you trust God? But so often that's what we do. We'll compromise and compromise and compromise back up step after step after step. And finally, we get to the place where we're so desperate that we have no other choice. And then we say, "Okay, God, now help me. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes, we are healed. Join us Easter Sunday at Foothill Family Church as Pastor Mike Webb will bring a message about the hope that Jesus can bring. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. We'll have two services on Easter Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. So he calls out to God, and, I, and the, the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah. Isaiah is the prophet in the land at that point in time. And so Isaiah says, this is chapter 19 and verse 6, Isaiah said unto them, thus shall you say to your master. In other words, this is what Isaiah is saying to the servants. Tell Hezekiah the king this. Be not afraid of the words which thou hast heard, which the servants of the king of Assyria has blasphemed me. This is God speaking on his own behalf through Isaiah. He said, Behold, I will send a blast upon him. The word blast is the word breath. He says, Don't worry, I'll breathe on him. That kind of puts things in perspective, doesn't it? Here's the greatest army on the face of the earth at that point in time, and God says, Don't worry, I'll breathe on him. Behold, I'll send a blast upon him, and he shall hear a rumor, and shall return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. So it says in verse 14, Hezekiah received the letter of the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. This is all other threats that are being made. Skip with me over to verse 32. Therefore, thus saith the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city nor shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with shield, nor cast a bank. That's how they'd make the ramps to get above the walls and things like that, and cast a bank against it. By the way that he came, by the same shall he return and shall not come into this city, saith the Lord. For I will defend this city. Let me ask you a question, folks. Does God care more about cities than he does his children? Yeah, but that was Jerusalem. Yeah, that was Jerusalem. Does he care more about Jerusalem that has been sacked and destroyed and rebuilt time after time after time throughout history? Does he care more about that than he does his children? 
Let me ask you this way. Did Jesus die for Jerusalem? No, but he died for you. Who does God care more about? His children, certainly. God can rebuild cities. He can commission it to be done. He could do it himself. He cares more about you than he does anything else. If God would defend his city, why would he not defend you? For I will defend this city to save it for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. Now, here's what God did. Here's the blast or the breathing on on, uh, the Assyrian army that he did. And it came to pass that night, this is verse 35, that the angel of the Lord went out and smote the camp of the Assyrians. A hundred, fourscore, and five thousand. That's 185,000 people. And when they rose early in the morning, behold, they were all dead corpses. Now remember God prophesied that, that Sennacherib would die by the sword in his own land. Here's how that happened. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went and returned and dwelt at Nineveh. That was his capital. And it came to pass as he was worshiping in the God, the house of Nisroch, I guess, his God, that two guys that I wouldn't even try to pronounce their names, his son smote them with the sword. Folks, I got to tell you something. If you named your son something like that, you need to look behind you. So his son smote him with the sword while he's worshiping his God and they escaped into the land of Armenia and his son reigned it instead. Now here's one of the greatest enemies that Israel ever faced. One of the greatest kingdoms, one of the largest kingdoms, one of the most well-armed, military, militarily superior kingdoms that Israel ever faced. And boy, it looks tough. It looks like this is it. Just like our our cousins, the ten and a half tribes of the northern kingdom were already overtaken by them and are part of the Assyrian kingdom. Now we're going to be swallowed up too. And God breathes on them. We need to get our, our thinking in line with what the Bible says. I mean, who is the big dog here? God says, don't worry about it. I'll defend the city. I'll breathe on them. And that's exactly what he does. Now, the breathing on him that took place was the angel of the Lord went going out and, and killing, smiting, killing 185,000 people in one night. Now, it doesn't say God sent an army of angels. It says the angel of the Lord. If, we, if we're to interpret this literally, this is one person. That's a busy night. Now, what's the point? Remember, the, the, the Bible says that uh, everything in the Old Testament, these signs and wonders and, and situations of Israel are examples to us. What's the example? Folks, when you put God first, even when you're afraid to begin with, God always honors you. The Bible says in Psalm um, 103, verse 17-ish, somewhere around there, it says, the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting to them that fear him. From everlasting to everlasting to them that fear him. Now, this is going to be the common theme of these four miracles that, uh, that we'll talk about this morning. And that is the people that put God first see miraculous things in their lives. The devil always wants to make you afraid of putting the things of God first. He wants to make you afraid of putting the word first in your life. He wants to make you afraid of just standing on the word in this thing called faith. 
well, what's going to happen? How's it going to work? Other people have tried and failed. But when you put God first in your life, not only does God see you through, but he promotes you. Now turn with, me, turn with me to this next one in chapter 20. Many years go by. We don't know exactly how many. But many years go by. And it says in verse 1, In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos, came to him and said unto him, Thus saith the Lord. Now get this. Here's the prophet speaking for God. Thus saith the Lord, Set, set thy house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Now, I wouldn't, if I was Hezekiah, I wouldn't consider that good news. So what does Hezekiah do? He buries his face in his pillow and says, oh, woe is me. No, he tries to change it. Folks, sometimes what God says is based on the circumstances as they exist at that moment. Some things can be changed. Hezekiah then turned his face to the wall and prayed unto the Lord, saying, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember... Now, get this, if he had not had something to, to stand on, if he had not had an, uh, a history of putting God first, I don't know what he had done other than die. But he said, remember how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart and have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. And it came to pass before Isaiah was even gone out into the middle court. He hadn't even got out of the house yet. That the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Go turn again and tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, Thus saith the Lord, the God of David thy father, I have seen thy prayer, I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will heal thee. On the third day thou shalt go up into the house of the Lord. And I will add unto thy days fifteen years. And I will deliver thee in this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for mine own sake and for my servant David's sake. Now, see, some people will say, Well, see, the Bible's full of contradictions. One time the prophet says, You're going to die. Says, thus saith the Lord, you're going to die. The next time he says, thus saith the Lord, I'll give you 15 more years. But folks, the circumstances have changed. Now, what changed? Did God change? No. What changed? Hezekiah. And what changed in Hezekiah is that he began to rely on, he began to take a position of exercising that which belonged to him because he had put God first in his life. Now, what is this an example of? This is an example of Christians that die that don't have to. This is an example of Christians that die sick that don't have to. But, and the reason that they do is because they don't exercise the rights that they have that were purchased for us by the blood of Jesus. Now, here's the miracle. Uh, the, the healing is not even the miracle. The healing is just part of the covenant that God made with Israel. Hezekiah said unto the Isaiah in verse 8, What shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me and that I shall go up into the house of the Lord on the third day? Now, I want you to get this. Hezekiah is asking for a sign. We would think our first inclination might be to say, well, that sure is unbelief. How is it that he's taking the word of the Lord from Isaiah who says, I'll heal you on the third day. Three days from now, you'll be healed. And... I'll protect your kingdom from the king of Assyria for the, all, the rest of your days. That was part of the prophecy as well. And I'll give you 15 more years to live. Yeah, well, can I have a sign? How do I know? How do I know? Now, folks, you could preach unbelief from this, but I want to show you where it's faith. Not necessarily faith on Hezekiah's part, but the example for us is one of faith. He asked for a sign. Now, what does God say? Does God say, well, die, you 
ungodly thing you how dare you ask me for a sign how dare you look for a sign i just gave you my word no notice what isaiah says verse 9 isaiah said this sign shalt thou have of the lord that the lord will do the thing that he has spoken shall the shadow go forward 10 degrees or go back 10 degrees you tell me does the sun go forward to show you or does he go backwards hezekiah being the sharp guy he is answers it's easy for the shadow to go down 10 degrees no but let the shadow return backwards 10 degrees god i know you can make the sun go forward 10 degrees that's easy anybody can do that i don't get it but he says let it go backwards and isaiah the prophet cried unto the lord and he brought the shadow 10 degrees backwards by which it had gone down in the dial of ahaz let me ask you a question how did god do this he turns the shadow of the clock on the sundial that's there in the court. He turns the shadow of the, of the sundial back 10 degrees. Now, is God just playing with shadows or does the sun move? And if the sun moved, what did God have to do to make that work? Do you realize the laws of physics that would have to change in order for that to occur? Do you realize the universe has to be suspended the laws that govern the universe the the, uh, the rotation of the earth and all that kind of stuff and the, the the orbits of the earth around the sun do you realize the things that would have to change for the sun to go back 10 degrees the shadow of the sun to go back 10 degrees now in my thinking and forgive me i'm just a simple country boy but in my thinking it's like wow for all this stuff to happen there must have been giant gears that that began to turn in heaven and you heard this great creaking sound where the sun began to move. But God just says, okay. Isaiah cried out to the, to the Lord and the Lord says, all right. Backwards is the same as forwards as I'm concerned. Hezekiah doesn't seem to understand that, but no big deal. And he just makes it happen. How in the world did he just make it happen? Folks, the rotation of the, of the earth and the orbit of the earth around the sun and everything is so precise that you can't mess with it and man live unless you're God. God just says, okay, do you know what the only impossibility in the universe is? It's impossible for God to break his word. Everything else is going to be done. God chose that. I want the sun to go back 10 degrees. Okay. No big deal. God doesn't have to sweat. He doesn't have to exert any energy. He doesn't have to, you know, really put on a show about this. No. Why? Because God can't break his word. He cannot break his word. He cannot. Please understand the way I'm saying it. I'm saying it on purpose. He cannot break his word. Numbers 23 verse 19 says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. That word repent means change. Has he said it and shall he not do it? Has he spoken it and shall he not make it good? If you've got the word of God, Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away, but the word of God will never fail. That means if you've got the word of God on any subject, any area, anything pertaining to anything, You've got the word of God on it concerning your situation. You have absolute proof that it's a reality. You may not see it yet. It may not feel like it's done yet. But it's impossible for God to break his word. 
Wigglesworth attributed that, attributed the success of his whole ministry to that. We look at it, and I've been guilty of it too. We look at the situations and things that happened in his ministry, and we think, oh, wow, God used him in, in special faith. Well, that may be, but the fa- special faith was predicated and founded on the fact that he understood that it was impossible for God to break his word. It's just as impossible for God to break his word to you as it was for Wigglesworth or for Hezekiah or for anybody else. It's impossible for God to break his word. Do you realize that the whole universe falls apart if God could break his word? Do you realize the reason God doesn't change is because if he changed what he said before to something he changes again, what he changes again would come to pass? Because what he says comes to pass? Folks, is there any threat, is there any attempt on anybody's part, the devil or anybody else's, that can take away the salvation that Jesus purchased for you? Well, that salvation includes healing. The devil can't take your healing. He can try to hinder it. He can slow things down. Well, what do we do? Well, all I know is what the Bible says. Count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith works patience. But if you let patience finish its work, you'll be perfect and complete. Wanting or lacking nothing. That means lacking no healing. You'll have what you believe for. Because it's impossible for God to break his word. Now, Hezekiah's miracle happened for one and only one reason, because he said, wait a minute, Lord, I've served you. Why didn't he take that position before Isaiah showed up? Why didn't Hezekiah, when the sickness came, why didn't Hezekiah turn his face to the wall and say, now, wait a minute, Lord, I've got a covenant promise from you. Healing's a part of the old covenant. Healing's part of the covenant you made with Abraham. Healing's a part of the covenant you made with Israel. You said if we'd walk in your ways and keep your statutes, you'd take away sickness from the midst of us. Why did he do that only when Isaiah said, well, you let this thing go and now you're going to die? Why does it take desperation on the part of so many people before they'll turn to God? That's what it took for Hezekiah. He got to the point where he said, wait a minute. You mean I'm going to die over this thing? Hold on. God, remember. So God said, yeah, that's right. Let me ask you, had God forgotten? Did God need Hezekiah to remind him? He says, oh, yeah, son of a gun, I forgot. He tore down those idols, cut down the groves. He even got rid of that brass serpent that everybody's burning incense to. Excuse me. Totally slipped my mind. No, it was important for Hezekiah to remember. It's important for Hezekiah to remember that he has a covenant promise with a God that can heal him. It was Hezekiah that changed, not God that changed and when Hezekiah changed the circumstances, and the only circumstance that changed is the, the, who he's looking to for help. When Hezekiah turned those circumstances around, God changed the situation, healed him, and gave him 15 more years to live. God's Word is the answer for every problem we'll face in this life. What a privilege it is to believe God and to walk by faith. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are 
healed. Join us Easter Sunday at Foothill Family Church as Pastor Mike Webb will bring a message about the hope that Jesus can bring. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. We'll have two services on Easter Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to MikeWebb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.